The following audio is from Restoration Southside Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee, where our mission is to restore people and places through outreach, authenticity, and sacrifice. For more information, visit restorationsouthside.org. Good morning. Can y'all hear me? Brent, you good? Okay, thank you for that. Um, If you're new here, my name is Jared Huffman. I'm the pastor here at Restoration Southside. We're so glad that you're here. In particular, if you are a college student locally, we would love for you to come and have dinner here tonight. As Ben mentioned, it's 6.30. You don't have to get out of your cars. You can wear a mask. We're just going to give you a gift and some dinner, and you can be here five minutes or 25 minutes. Uh, But please come, and please feel free to bring your friends, even if they're not coming to Restoration Southside. We ordered a lot of food, and we don't want it to go to waste. So please do come and bring your friends this evening. We're continuing our study of Ecclesiastes. Uh, Throughout the course of the book, he just continues to hammer away about what wisdom looks like, what folly looks like, what it's like to experience this world, what it's like for us to experience a world that is broken. And he continues this section of what it's like for us to continue to live in a broken world. This section in particular is about leaders. So whether you're a leader in your home or with your children or at work or in an organization, he's sort of giving advice to what it should feel like, what it should look like, and what it shouldn't look like if you're a leader. So with that thought said, let's pray and ask God to bless our study of his word this morning. Lord, would you have mercy on me, a sinner? I thank you and I praise you for your word and your Holy Spirit. If we're honest, Lord, we are so tired of COVID. We're so tired of the social distancing. We want to be careful, and yet we're weary. We miss our comforts and our people. We ask that you would guide us as a church through this very broken and strange time. We ask that you would cause those who are new here to feel loved and welcomed and accepted even when they can't get out of their car. We ask now that you would guide our thoughts as we think about what leadership is and what it is not. Would you please help us this morning? It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. When I was in seminary, I was studying divinity and I was studying counseling. There was one Friday night where there was a guest lecturer in town, and he was going to talk about addiction. And so even though I'm in seminary, I'm using a Friday night to drive to some other place and learn about addiction. And I was just feeling so proud of myself. What a good man I am. I mean, I'm already in seminary, so that makes me a good man. And with my free time on a Friday night, I'm driving in to an extra lecture to learn about addiction so I can help people. And on the way home, I was thinking about what I had learned, and I was kind of lost in thought. And I look up, and there's blue and red lights behind me. And I was speeding, which I tend to do anyway. And I got pulled over, and I thought, surely the Lord understands that I was, I'm in seminary, I'm learning about addiction, obviously I'm not going to get a ticket here. He wouldn't want to discourage my efforts. The cop very quickly barked at me, and he wrote me a ticket and sort of dropped it in my window. And on the way home, 
I was so angry. I was so angry. Here I am, this young guy in seminary trying to learn how to help people. In fact, I'm taking extra time on a Friday night to do extra work, and God can't protect me from one speeding ticket? The reason that I tell you that is, is as you lead, there will be times where the fallenness and the brokenness of the world doesn't match up with the good that you were trying to do, and it won't make sense to you. It won't make sense. Why did it have to happen this way? We were trying to do something good. That's where he starts here in Ecclesiastes. The first point he wants the leader to see is that the leader is not above his people or her people. The leader is not something different altogether. The leader still puts their pants on one leg at a time. So he's offering this wisdom of humility. Did you see it in the text? He says, he who digs a pit will fall into it. And a serpent will bite him who breaks through a wall. And he who quarries stones is hurt by them. And he who splits logs is endangered by them. What he's saying is, when you go about the work of living and working, bad stuff's going to happen to you, even though you're a leader. Even though you have good intentions. Even though you're trying to help others. Bad stuff will still happen to you. And he says, the leader knows that his life is not better or different than the people that follow. The leader is not too important to get hurt. It's supposed to remind all of us how replaceable we are. You know, two different times in ministry, I have changed from one church to another church, and each time I want the church that I'm leaving to thrive and to uh, flourish and yet there's this little side of me that feels like, man, it would still be kind of cool to find out I was irreplaceable. A week goes by, nothing changes. We are all replaceable as leaders. And a true leader has the humility to know that. We're not too important. We're also not too important for the mundane. He says this, if the iron is blunt and one does not sharpen the edge, he must use more strength, but wisdom helps one to succeed. It's this picture of he's chopping wood, but he doesn't slow down for the few minutes to sharpen the iron, and it gets harder and harder and harder to do. But we can be so self-important, all of us, that we don't slow down and do the little things. To read the bedtime story, to sharpen the axe, to mow the lawn, to clean up the kitchen, to help with the laundry, to sit down with a coworker who is discouraged and hear them out, even though you know it's costing you precious time to be productive. He's saying the wise leader is not too important for the mundane. Not too important for the mundane. He also uses this image of a snake charmer where the snake charmer is preparing to train the snake, but before he ever does, the snake bites him and he dies. He says, well, what was the whole point anyway? And there are times in your life, in your ministry, in your work, when you will be working on something and it'll fall apart and you go, what was this all about anyway? Why did you even call me here, God? Why did you even do this? What was the whole point? And he says, the wise leader knows they're not above the people. They're not something different than the people. They're not too important for the mundane. 
and that sometimes good leaders with good intentions have things fall apart. And that's the world in which we live in. So you see that first section in which the, the real wise leader knows they're still a human being. Life will get in the way. Things will fall apart. The real leader has time for the small things in their life. But you also see this wisdom of words of a leader, a real leader. Look with me in verses 12 through 14. It says, The words of a wise man's mouth win him favor, but the lips of a fool consume him. The beginning of the words of his mouth is foolishness, and the end of his talk is evil madness. A fool multiplies words, though no man knows what he is to be. And who can tell what will be after him? The toil of a fool wearies him, for he does not know the way to the city. He's saying another way that you can tell the difference between a good leader and a bad leader or a foolish leader is a good leader uses their words sparingly. A bad leader just talks and talks and talks. The good leader knows what to say and when to say it. The bad leader just talks. Doesn't take time or what they're saying or who is listening or how they're listening into consideration. So let me ask you, do you see yourself as one who is careful with what you say or who just talks and runs their mouth? He says, wise words bless other people. The words of a wise man's mouth win him favor. The lips of a fool consume him. How are you using your words? When you talk to your spouse, how are you using your words? When the kids break something in the house, how are you using your words? When someone messes up at work, how are you using your words? Wise words bless others. Wise words are encouraging. Wise words help guide. Wise words help pick people up and dust them off. And foolish words, foolish leaders just talk and talk and talk. They start to like the sound of their own voice. Are you careful with your words? There's an author who said that before we speak, we should ask ourselves, is something true? Is it kind? Is it necessary? And is it helpful? Is it true? Is it kind? Is it necessary? And is it helpful? That those are sort of a grid that if your words can't make it through all four of those tests, maybe you shouldn't speak them. And you think, man, if all my words had to make it through that test, I shouldn't talk much. That's his point. He's saying wise people listen. Wise people encourage. Wise people don't run their mouth. Here he says, the lips of a fool consume him. The lips of a fool consume him. There's this scene from a movie that I love. The movie's called In the Bedroom, which sounds shady, but it's actually about this older couple who lose their son in life and how they're sort of dealing with their grief. And there's this one scene in the movie where these, this husband and wife are tearing each other apart with their words. They're screaming at each other and they're saying the most hateful and hurtful things they can come up with about the things of the last 35 years of their marriage, and they're just ripping each other to shreds. It's, it's actually physically uncomfortable to watch the scene because they're being so ugly with their words. And I remember watching that. I was an engaged man the first time I saw it, and I thought, I know the lesson of this. 
Never say mean words at all. Never say mean words at all. Guess how that has worked out for me? We say ugly words, especially to people who are closest to us. Are our words being destructive of others? They're not just self-destructive. They're not just destructive of others. They're also self-exposing. A fool multiplies his words, though no man knows what he is to be. It means that as you continue to talk in folly, your words will find you out. One of my children, I won't tell you which one, we sent to the gas station. We sent to the gas station to get eggs on his bike. We gave him a certain amount of money. When he came back, he had none of the money left. We know how much eggs cost. We know how much we gave him. And so we're looking for some change. And he says, oh, I didn't know you wanted change. I just left it in the tip jar. And I thought for a second, I've been to a lot of gas stations in my life. And sure, there's the take a penny, leave a penny. But I have never one time in my life seen a tip jar at a gas station. And I said, so what, are, are you talking about that thing that has change in it? No, 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 there's a jar up there that you give extra money to the people to tell them that you're grateful for them. Where is this? This was at our gas station? And as he continued to spin and to lie, his words found him out. There is no tip jar at a gas station. The money was spent on candy bars that were hidden away. And I know that's a small example, but basically what it teaches us is that our words will find us out. The little ways that we lie to ourselves, the little ways that we lie to the people that are close to us, they will find us out. Are your words wise? Kind, necessary, true, and helpful. Do you use your words so that the people around you thrive or the people around you afraid of you? You see the wisdom of a leader in his humility. You see the wisdom of a leader in her using her words well. You also see how they manage, whether it's for selfish gain or for others. Look in verse 15. The toil of a fool wearies him. He does not know the way to the city. Woe to you, O land, when your king is a child and your princes feast in the morning. Happy are you, O land, when your king is the son of nobility and your princes feast at the proper time for strength and not for drunkenness. Through sloth the roof sinks in and through indolence the house leaks. Bread is made for laughter and wine gladdens life and money answers everything. But he's saying here is that a good leader uses their resources to make other people and other things better, not to make their life more comfortable. The leaders in this passage, they're basically having feasts in the morning when they could be going out into the city, out into the kingdom, and helping things. They're having feasts. They're getting wasted in the morning. Instead of using their power and their privilege to bless those in the city, they're using it to bless themselves. They're using power for personal gain. And a good leader is wearing themselves out for the sake of others, not for the sake of self. A good leader is wearing themselves out, not for the sake of self, but for the sake of others. When people see you lead at home, when people see you lead at work or at church, or when people see you lead with your friends, would they say that you are using your resources for the sake of others or for the sake of your own comfort? 
For me, it feels like I can use my resources for the sake of others to a certain hour of the day, and then it has to all be about me. Maybe you're like that. Instead of continuing to give, even when we're tired, we start to take. But a good leader uses their power and their influence for others to flourish, not for themselves. And then lastly, I want you to see in this text, we see the wisdom that comes with a humble leader, a wisdom that comes with the leader that uses his or her words well, the wisdom that comes in using power and influence for the sake of others and not for self. And then he turns. He says, these are all the things that you need to be careful about if you're going to be a good leader. And then the last thing he wants you to be wise in is ignorance. And that sounds crazy, but look with me in verse 11, 1 through 6. It says, cast your bread upon the waters, for you will find it after many days. Give a portion to seven, even to eight, for you know not what disaster may happen on earth. If the clouds are full of rain and they empty themselves, and if a tree falls to the south or to the north, in the place the tree falls, there it will lie. He who observes the wind will not sow, and he who regards the clouds will not reap. As you do not know where the Spirit comes to the bones in the woman uh, uh, with child, so you do not know the work of God who makes everything. In the morning sow your seed, and at evening withhold not your hand, for you do not know which will prosper, this or that, whether alike they will both be good. His point is there are these things that you can know about humility and using your words well and leading self-sacrificially, but he's saying don't pretend for a second that you can know everything. He's saying, you don't know what the future holds. You don't know what the future holds. So what should you do? You don't know what the future holds. You don't know what God will do. You don't know what will bring success. So he says, live with the six inches in front of your face. Be faithful with the small and trust God with the big. So this first part about you don't know the future. You don't know what's going to happen. Or you do not know what disaster may happen on earth. So he's saying, live generously. Don't speculate about what might happen. Live generously to people around you. Live sacrificially. That means we should be taking the best part of ourselves and giving them away, not using the best part of ourselves to build up our reputation. This is going to test us as a church. Someday, Ben will be ordained. And about every church in America is going to call to have Ben come and pastor them. And I will beg him to stay. But in reality, what we should be doing if we live generously, if we live self-sacrificially, we should be taking what is the best of us and sharing it with others so that others will flourish. That's what's so different about God's economy is that instead of keeping the best for self so that we flourish, God's economy says give the best of yourself away so that others will flourish. What is the best thing in your life? What is the best thing about you? How are you giving it away to others? So he says you can't trust the future because disasters may happen on earth. You can't even trust what God will do. He said it in verse 5. As you do not know way, the way the Spirit comes to the bones in the womb of a woman with child, so do, you do not know the work of God who makes everything. He's saying you, even you believers, 
You don't know what's going to happen, the disasters that could come. And you also don't even know what God is up to. And he's saying, so why would you lose yourself in a future that you have no power over? And in fact, you don't even know what God may do when there's a present here that you can live for. There are responsibilities here that you are called to. There is a human life which you need to steward for the sake of others. You don't even know what God will do. And he says, and you also don't know what will bring success. That's what he means in verse 6. In the morning sow your seed, and in the evening withhold not your hand. For you do not know which will prosper, this or that, whether both alike will be good. He's saying you could pour your whole life into a company, and that company lets you go before you retire. You could pour your whole life into your children, and those children might curse your name. He's saying you don't know what's going to happen. You don't know what will bring success. So work hard at what you're called to and trust the Lord with the results. Gibson said it this way, death is coming. Death is coming, so do your bucket list. Don't do your to-do list. Death is coming, so do your bucket list, not your to-do list. Zach Eswine said this, all we can do is give ourselves to tend what we have been given. All we can do is to give ourselves to tend what we have been given. So do what's in front of you. I spent so much of my life thinking about when I get here, when I get here, when I get here, then I will do this. When I am called to be a human being with limitations that is finite, that can only focus on the work in front of me and the people around me. And he's saying a godly person knows that. Only focus on the work in front of you and the people around you. The passage is saying your life is not just 9 to 5. Get all the perks you can out of 9 to 5. He's saying your life is all you've got. Do it what is important and do it with everything you've got, says Gibson. So a leader is humble. A leader is wise with their words. A leader is self-sacrificial rather than self-aggrandizing. And a leader admits what he doesn't know. The disaster could come. I don't know what God's up to. I don't actually know what will bring success. A leader thinks humanly, finitely, and embraces the fact that they're finite. But they, he's saying you don't want to live your life where, in such a way that when it comes to the end, you feel like, I wasted it. Many of you have seen the movie Schindler's List. It's this powerful story about World War II and the Nazis and Oscar Schindler, this this Nazi businessman who's really just become a Nazi so that it can enhance his business contacts. But as he starts to see what Nazi Germany is doing, he starts using his personal resources to sneak Jews out of Germany. And he keeps doing this, and he'll, he'll use money here and money there. He'll use these resources or those resources, and he keeps sneaking people out. And finally, they're on to Schindler. Finally, they're coming for him, and so his people gather together, and they're getting him out of Germany to rescue the one who has rescued so many. And yet Schindler's still looking there. He's seeing his car. He's seeing the watch on his arm. And you remember what he keeps saying? I could have gotten more out. I could have gotten more out. The sense of, yes, I did good, but I could have gotten more out. I could have given more of myself for the sake of others. And the Scriptures are calling us right here to live like it matters 
to rescue others. Like we can give of ourselves and give of ourselves and give of ourselves because rescuing others matters. A true leader will be measured not by what he gets, but by what he gives. And we see that most powerfully in the person and work of Jesus. Jesus giving up the glory of the throne room, giving up the riches, giving up the use of his powers, giving up this intimate relationship with the Father so that he can come and be born in a nobody town full of nobodies and so that he can be mocked, that he can be abandoned, he can be tortured, and then he can be killed. He's just constantly shedding himself of what he could keep for himself, but he does it for the sake of others. A leader will be measured not by what he gets, but what he gives. Ask yourself, what kind of leader are you? In your home, with your kids, with your spouse, at work and at church, do you remember that you're finite? Do you long for wisdom and humility? Are you living a life where other people are getting what you could have for yourself, but you're finding more joy in giving it away? A leader will be measured not by what they get, but by what they give. Let's pray. Father, even as I read these words, it's so convicting. We use so much of our resources for ourselves. I pray that you would form us into the kind of people, the kind of church who uses all of our resources for the sake of those who aren't here yet. That we bless a city not for our own name, but for your name. Would you cause us to be wise and humble and careful, and finite? Would you cause us to empty ourselves for the sake of others? It's in Jesus' matchless name that we pray. Amen.